Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. Communication system is a go. Go! This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Exactly. Fire text line is open, 601-879-4395. Mississippi's future can't wait. From our kids to our economy, everything's on the line when it comes to computer science education in our schools. That's why C Spire is working with state leaders on a bill that will call for every school to teach computer science. Join C Spire in the fight by texting, uh, texting FUTURE to 50457 or visit OurMSFuture.com. The time is now, Mississippi. That message from C Spire, C Spire customer inspired. Thomas and Greenwood, uh, Borky, hey, he's getting off a plane. You know he isn't armed, so confront away. <laughs> and uh, Keith in Scott County says at least it wasn't your head that he dropped the suitcase on. Yeah, see, it's not even the dropping the suitcase and hitting me. I mean, that happens, right? It's a small plane, heavy luggage. Like, you hit me, okay, I get it. But it's the looking me dead in the eye and saying oops and just walking oops. off the plane is the problem here. Did he smile when he said oops? Uh, kind of like this weird grin. Uh, he was a weird guy. That you know, I just didn't want to pick on him. Probably okay. dealt with that a lot in his life. The SEC baseball coaches preseason honors are out. Includes predicted order of finish in the East and in the West. The SEC champion and the preseason first and second teams. So let's walk through those. In the Eastern Division, Vanderbilt got nine first place votes and they were picked to finish first. Florida got three first place votes. Georgia got two. So Vanderbilt, Florida, Georgia, one, two, three in the East, followed by Tennessee, South Carolina, Missouri, and Kentucky. Nobody is buying into the Kentucky Wildcats this year. Nobody. A little bit closer in the Western Division. Arkansas picked to win the West. They got five out of the 14 first-place votes, 82 points overall. Nine points behind Arkansas, but with four first-place votes, Mississippi State picked to finish second. A tie for third place, both with 67 points, Auburn got two first-place votes. LSU got three first-place votes. Uh, Then it's Texas A&M fifth, Ole Miss sixth, and Alabama seventh. uh, Kind of a distant seventh there for Alabama. So pretty much everybody picked Alabama at the, uh, the bottom of the Western Division. So in terms of order of finish, Vandy, Florida, Georgia in the east, Arkansas, Mississippi State, and then Auburn and LSU tied for third in the west. And four different Western Division teams with first-place votes. Nobody with an overwhelming number. Arkansas with five, Mississippi State with four, two for Auburn, and three for LSU. Hey, Dad, your reaction? At the predicted order of finish, it's probably about right. I, I think, you know, I've, I've been saying for the past couple of weeks, I like Florida, uh, and it looks like the coaches sort of are going to agree with me on that one. And in the West, I mean, Arkansas and State, I think, are, are a nudge ahead, a little bit ahead of Auburn and LSU, but it's tight. 
and uh, it, it's it's going to play out. It's going to be a tough tough season for all four of those teams, and I would imagine whoever wins the division won't win it by more than one or two games. Rippy Ole Miss picks sixth in the West. What's their ceiling? If sixth is not accurate, what's the highest you think they could finish in the West? I mean, if all things go exactly right, second or third is not made out of the realm of possibility. They have talent. It's just much like the 17 team. I mean, this was one of the best, what, number two class in the country it finished at. They have a lot of talent. It's just very much unproven. So, if they could get up second or third. I don't think they necessarily contend for the West, but I think they, I think it's pretty close. I think that State, Arkansas are probably top two. And then I really don't think there's that much gap between LSU, Auburn, and Ole Miss. Not a ton. I think Alabama is probably the one outlier here. I guess I'd throw A&M to that middling bunch as well. So I think three through six, there's not very much of a gap. And then, you know, then you have Alabama. So I'd go second or third. Question for me about um, Texas A&M is, are they going to be able to hit? Because last year they hit about 230, 240 as a team. And it's really hard to win games. I mean, they are loaded on the mound once again. And... You know, if they swing the bats a little bit better, given the pitching that they've got, wouldn't surprise me at all for Texas A&M to be a little bit higher in the rankings. But if they don't swing it better, and by the way, new, um, I guess, hitting coach, if you want to call him an offensive coordinator, you could. Uh, but Chad Kaye, who was at uh, at Southern Miss until last season, uh, was brought in by Rod Childress to uh, be the hitting coach on that Texas A&M team. Um, but... I mean, preseason predictions, particularly in a division like or in a conference, really as a whole, like the SEC, are utterly useless. I mean, everyone seemed to be very high on LSU last year, based solely off a recruiting class. That was a very pedestrian LSU team. Sounds weird because they did go seventeen and thirteen, but like they didn't exactly scare you lining up. You know what's crazy about then, these? Just start finishing that thought. I don't think what state was picked fourth or fifth somewhere around there last year, if I remember correctly. They I think weren't it was lower in the top than that. three. Yeah, it may have been lower than that, and ended up tied. Did they win the thing over Arkansas? They have the tiebreaker. I don't remember. No, Arkansas. Arkansas had the tiebreaker. Arkansas okay. had the tiebreaker. But I mean, same thing. They both won twenty games in the West. Like, out of the six programs, Alabama not included, unless you know one team is particularly down. There's really, to me, not a ton of gap. I mean, it comes down to a very thin margin of error. Guys, you know what's a little crazy? Let's just assume that these predictions are accurate or are close to accurate. But in terms of the last place team in the division. Kentucky in the East, Alabama in the West, one of those two teams will be in the SEC baseball tournament in Hoover. Because you get 12 teams in, and this is the year that Missouri is not eligible. You remember last year the the, the NCAA investigation and the appeal was pending, and Missouri had a team that they end up in the NCAA tournament. No, they got hosed. They put in like a TCU at like a 58 or 50 something RPI over Missouri. It made no sense. Literally, they got in because they're TCU and they're coached by Jim Sloshnagel, who's a complete load of crap. But I mean, Auburn went to Omaha at 14 and 16. They finished sixth in the West last year and went to Omaha. Sure. But Missouri this year, because that penalty is now in place and they didn't sit out last year, is not eligible for the postseason in baseball this year. And so 13. Uh, or 12 of the remaining 13 teams will get to the SEC baseball tournament in Hoover. Uh, you could have somebody that gets there with a, uh, a pretty poor record. 
when it's all said and done. Vanderbilt, preseason SEC champ. According to the coaches, they got eight first-place votes overall to win the league. Then Florida, and then you also had single votes to win it all for Arkansas, Auburn, Georgia, and Mississippi State. One hell of a story Vanderbilt is. (laughs) State was picked sixth last year in the West. Okay, so yeah, about the, I mean... That's, and went to the College World Series for the second consecutive year. Yeah, but yeah. theirs was a little bit similar to Ole Miss this year, not in terms of youth, but it seemed like a bit of, like talent, but a bit of unproven. Like the like anytime there's unknown, I think they're going to kind of go with what you know, and I think you know more about the top teams in the West this year, at least projection wise. Yeah. Did you want to jump in there, Hayden? No, no, no. Let's continue on. I guess we're about to all talk right. about the, uh, the the preseason All SEC team. Yeah, the players. Uh, Casey Opitz, the catcher from Arkansas. Cade Beloso, the first baseman from LSU. He and TJ Collette from Kentucky are both first basemen and both made the first team, so they don't break ties on, on these teams. Second baseman, Justin Foscue from Mississippi State. Third base, Austin Martin from Vanderbilt. No surprise there, although that means you're leaving Tyler Keenan off the SEC first team. Casey Martin, the shortstop at Arkansas, first-team shortstop. He Remember, he played third base as a freshman, moved to shortstop last year. The three outfielders on the first team, Daniel Cabrera from LSU, Alaric Soler from Tennessee, and Heston Kerstad from Arkansas. The designated hitter slash utility player, Matt Goodhart from Arkansas. And your first-team preseason All-SEC rotation, or, well, pitchers. Two starters and one relief pitcher. Although, why do you not have three starters on the All-SEC first team, considering they're three weekend spots? That's a good question. Probably for the same reason you have two first basemen. Nobody's willing to just sack up and make a choice. Fair enough. Uh, Emerson Hancock from Georgia, Asa Lacey from Texas A&M, and the preseason first team relief pitcher is Tyler Brown from Vanderbilt. Second team. Catcher, Ty Duvall from Vanderbilt. Mississippi State's Josh Hatcher and Auburn's Rankin Worley, both first basemen. <laughs> you have three second basemen. Again, we're not so, breaking ties here. That's a real a huge infield. shift. I mean, that, that shift is on. Or you don't have to shift. Yeah, I guess you don't have to. Yeah, all you play right straight over. up and play the shift. Uh, yeah. Noah Campbell from South Carolina, Harrison Ray from Vanderbilt, Riley King from Georgia. Tyler Keenan is the preseason second team, all-SEC third baseman at shortstop, Jordan Westberg. Judd Fabian, Tyler Gentry, and Rowdy Jordan from Florida, Alabama, and Mississippi State, respectively. We'll play softball style with a fourth outfielder as well, Zach Deloach from Texas A&M. D.H. Tanner Allen from Mississippi State. Kumar Rocker and Tanner Burns, two more starting pitchers with Cody Greenhill from Auburn. As the reliever. So JT again is preseason All American, but he does not make the preseason first or second team All SEC squads, according to the coaches. That's noticeable. Plus, states one through five in the batting order are all on these teams. Could be some hitting in Starkville. May swing the bats a little bit at the dude. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll talk new Mississippi State quarterback next with a guy who watched him for the last three years when we come back. Back with 
with you Thursday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Good to have you along for the ride. Time to go to the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com, and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Scott Reese joins us. He is the radio play-by-play announcer for the Stanford Cardinal, and he joins us this afternoon to talk a little about K.J. Costello. Scott, appreciate uh, a few minutes of your time this afternoon. What is Mississippi State getting, in your mind, in K.J. Costello as a quarterback? Uh, you guys should be really happy. Uh, you know, K.J., uh, he, he is a really good football player, um, but, but even more than what he brings on the field, he is exactly the type of fiery competitor and, and leader that you want at that position. A two-time captain, and there haven't been a lot of those in Stanford football history uh, that shows you what his teammates you know, thought of him. Um, and, you know, the minute he took over, and there was a game sophomore year when you know, he was, uh, I think, third string to start the season, and the top two guys weren't getting it done, and, and he came off the bench, and immediately you could just see the effect of the huddle, and 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 his uh, enthusiasm is contagious. So uh, we can talk about what he brings on the field, but uh, he's he's a really good player and a really great leader. What do you think went into the decision to move on from Stanford? I, I know some injuries that he, he dealt with. Do you think it was just a new challenge, a new opportunity? Was it time? Was he beaten out for that spot at Stanford? What, what all went into that? Well, so it's it, the injuries were a big part of it. Uh, you know, people expected big things from him this past year in 2019, and, and why not? I mean, 2018, he was phenomenal. He threw for 3,500 yards. He was second-team All-Pac-12. And coming back, people thought he might be, you know, if not the best, you know, with Justin Herbert in the conference, maybe the second-best quarterback in the conference, and a guy who probably was going to be in the NFL draft come this, this year. Uh, but he was beaten up and banged up and just could not get right all year. He had a thumb and he had a head and he had a hip and just all kinds of injuries. And that's the one, I think, uh, tale of caution going forward that, you know, he needs to be healthy to be the player that he can be. And I guess you could say that about anybody. Um, as far as the decision, you know, Stanford's got another blue chipper named Davis Mills who kind of took control of things and started putting up some pretty impressive passing numbers when KJ was hurt. And I think when push came to shove, I think Davis was going to be number one on the depth chart next year because of the uncertainty of KJ health-wise, and so I think it was a conversation between Coach Shaw and between KJ, basically saying, "Look, you know, you are, you owe it to yourself to go look around and see if there's a place where you know you can be the guy because we can't make you that guarantee here." What's the relationship between David Shaw and his players, and specifically his quarterbacks? And I ask that because outside looking in, it it seems like there's a lot of respect there. Uh, there is. Uh, you know, he's, he's one of the most, you know, universally respected coaches, I think, in the game. I think it's fair to say, uh, you know, David Shaw's track record is tremendous. Obviously, this past year was, a, we hope, a blip on the radar, but uh, every other season was, you know, an unmitigated success. Um, you know, he graduates guys, he puts them in the NFL. Um, he, 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 you know, oversees a program of guys who are leaders, um, kind of pillars of society. I mean, all the great things you think about Stanford, and a lot of that comes from Coach Shaw. Um, and KJ is exactly one of those guys. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, there's a, a very high level of mutual respect between the coach and his players. Um, and, you know, you'd have to ask KJ when he gets there about his experience and, and whatnot. And, and, you know, I can only speculate about some of the end-all, be-all reasons that he wound up making the decision and pulling the trigger. But uh, at the end of the day, I, I know there was a conversation, and I'm quite sure that, you know, Coach Shaw treated him with the utmost respect in making this call. 
Scott Reese, radio play-by-play announcer for the Stanford Cardinal on your radio on the Farm Bureau phone line at Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. Scott, when it, when I think about the offenses, um, Stanford's and Washington State's with Mike Leach, I, I tend to think kind of opposite <laughs> ends of the spectrum. Yeah, um, a little bit. <laughs> you, you've seen that Washington State offense in person a, a bunch of times, whereas we've only, you know, for the most part, only seen it on television. Plugging KJ Costello into that type of offense, does it make sense? It's going to be fascinating. I think it does make sense because he's a, he's a very smart quarterback, and obviously that you know you, you need to be that because you know with Coach Leach, uh, what are there? He's got you know maybe ten different plays and, and, and formations, but they run a million different permutations, and a lot of it is reacting, you know, post snap reacting. Um, and, and KJ is a very poised quarterback and a very smart quarterback. Um, you know, his mechanics aren't perfect, and, and you know there's a reason that he's not you know touted as a first round pick at this point in his career, but. He's accurate. His arm strength is good, and I think that you know he will thrive in that system. So I think again, if health permits, I am fascinated to see how he thrives in the Mike Leach system because you know going from Stanford, where it's a lot of ground and pound, and you know it's a lot of you know short throws and, and you know ball control offense and whatnot, to basically as you said, the polar opposite, the air raid and Mike Leach, and he's going to get to you know chuck it around fifty times a game. So I think he's probably salivating at the opportunity. And for me, the biggest takeaway from this is, you know, what is the, the narrative on Mike Leach quarterbacks trying to go to the NFL is what? Well, their system guys, we're not sure. You know, Gardner Minshew sort of breaking the mold. But you're not going to have that problem if you're K.J. Costello because Scott's going to look and say, okay, but he also did that in the pro-style offense at Stanford. So if, if, if K.J. comes in there and puts up a ton of yards and great numbers, I think his draft stock is going to rise substantially. Hey, Scott, Brian Haydad here. Speaking of Mike Leach, though, with his offense coming from the Pac-12 where it was so successful, you got a chance to see that up close and personal. The, the narrative down here is going to be, well, can you do it against SEC defenses? Just in your opinion, right. do you think this, this, this offense can thrive in the SEC? Well, it's going to be a fascinating experiment, I can tell you that. Uh, I, I don't know is the answer. Um, you know, we, it's not like there's no physicality here in the Pac-12. You know, I mean, Stanford, certainly up until the last couple of years, had one of the most physical defenses in the country. Um, USC, Utah, I mean, there are teams, you know, that, that play, have played SEC-style defense, uh, and Washington State has won a lot of games against those teams over the years. So, you know, can it be effective? Yes. Will it be as effective week in and week out against, you know, the LSUs and the Alabamas and what he's going to see week in and week out there? Remains to be seen. Um, you know, I, I think it's an intriguing hire, uh, but Mike Leach has won everywhere he's gone. You know, and if he can thrive in the Big Twelve and he can thrive in the Pac Twelve, I see no reason why he can't be successful in the SEC. Even though the defenses clearly will be of a different caliber. Scott, you said something a, a second ago that kind of piqued my my interest when when you talked about ground and pound offense, two tight ends, physical. That, that's the reputation that David Shaw and Stanford have. But if you rewind two years to the season when Costello threw for thirty five hundred yards. There was more downfield passing that year with uh, J.J. or Sega Whiteside, right? There was, and you know that was a really strange year for Stanford because you had Bryce Love coming back and right. coming off you know this prolific two thousand yard rushing season, and Stanford two years ago could not run the football. I mean they were they were brutal. They were like one hundred fifth or one hundred tenth in the country with Bryce Love. Now a lot of that is Love was banged up and he was a you know a shell of his former self. But the fact remains that the offensive line, whatever it was, they realized about five games in that they flat out could not run it. So, you know, I, I gave Shaw, uh, Coach Shaw a lot of credit because he's not one to uh, stray from his philosophies lightly. Um, but he adapted, 
and basically turned the reins over to KJ and knew he had JJ Osteka white side and knew he had, you know, a great tight end in Caden Smith and some guys who could make plays downfield. And he said, all right, you know, we're going to have to throw if we're going to win games. And that's why KJ put up the numbers that he did. And that's why, you know, 3,500 yards at a lot of schools is not, you know, top five or maybe even top 10 all time. It's second all time in a season at Stanford. It's just not the way the Cardinal have rolled, uh, you know, pretty much through most of their history. So it, it's, a, it's a fair observation, but KJ did throw the ball downfield. Now, you had JJ, and our single white side was as good as anybody I've ever seen in terms of jump balls and contested balls and whatnot. So you have that kind of weapon, you use it. Um, but, but yeah, uh, KJ definitely threw the ball downfield a lot more than some of his predecessors. It's got only about a minute left, so last thing for you. I'm just kind of a general Stanford question. We've seen Alabama evolve offensively from pure pro style to this you know, elevated passing game. We saw what LSU did this year. Should we anticipate seeing any kind of an evolution in the offensive philosophy at Stanford? It's a great question, and I can't wait to find out the answer. <laughs> Fair enough. I would, love to, I would love to see, as you put it, the evolution of the offense. Uh, you know, I, I think that what Stanford wants to do and likes to do can still work but it can't work exclusively. And I think that, you know, if it were me, I would like to see a little more variety, a little more misdirection, a little more. Some of the things that, you know, so many other schools are doing with regularity. Um, now you got to have the personnel to do it. And I think that, you know, you're also seeing a more receiver-friendly offense at Stanford. We've got better receivers the last year and, and, and going into next year, I think, than they've ever had. So you've got more weapons in terms of maybe a more vertical passing game, and I think you will continue to see it stray a little bit more in that direction. But Coach Shaw is never going to abandon his power principles and kind of what he believes in and what he's always coached as. Scott Reese joining us from the Bay Area. Really appreciate uh, your time and your insight this afternoon. Scott, hope to catch up with you again down the line sometime. No problem, guys. Enjoy. That is Scott Reese joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Sports anchor and reporter at KTVU. That's the Fox affiliate in the Bay Area and the radio play-by-play voice for Stanford Cardinal football and basketball. Uh, some interesting insight there. And I just was kind of fascinated. I mean, obviously we weren't still talking about K.J. Costello at the end, but wondering if it was going to look any different Um Hey, that really sounds like Mississippi State has gotten, in addition to a good player, uh, somebody that, that teammates likely are going to gravitate to. And if you don't have that in your quarterback, I mean, that, that can be a problem. So that, that is definitely good news for Mississippi State. Yep. Well, Scott Rice, the uh, play-by-play voice of the Stanford Cardinal on the Farm Bureau phone line. We've got more coming up with you. We'll take a quick timeout. Be back to wrap up our number one of the show on this Thursday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi. Sporty on the ceasefire text line. Um, just because you're large and loud doesn't mean you can dominate everyone you meet just because they're smaller than you. One day, some little guy may beat the crap out of you. It's a good point. A buddy of mine in high school was, I don't mean this negatively, but was Rippy size. Uh, also a state champion wrestler. He would have second rippy size I, reference of the day. It's, this yeah. is just a, a factual statement. You know, not a negative thing. He he was just he was smaller than me. But he would have smoked me if we'd have gotten into it. I mean, he won state I think three times uh, as a as a wrestler. So yeah, no, I get you. But I could tell that this was different. 
And I, I chose not to go down that path because this was a unique situation. I don't go running around, you know, confronting people for minor inconveniences throughout my day. Rippy, if the uh, if the Academy of Jackson had had um, a wrestling program, would you have been involved? Probably not. Doesn't sound fun. It might be though. Get to uh, dance around your singlet and get sweaty and. <laughs> That's just an average Saturday night at the Rippy House. What are you talking about? Yeah, I mean, I guess we could spoof it now. Hey, Dad could Nacho Libre me or something. (laughs) (laughs) You could have wrestled in, like, the uh, under-110 class. Not a big wrestler. Man, there was a... brothers occasionally tie up, lock up, get rowdy at the house? Not big into wrestling, no. Shockingly. Man, there was a girl uh, who who was at our rival high school and she played offensive guard and actually did so like well. The team wasn't very good, but she was in the heavyweight division in wrestling. I mean, that's that's just what they called it. I'm not being mean. It was so funny to go watch my buddy wrestle. He was in the one of the lightweight divisions, but she would make boys cry. She would beat them and they'd walk off the mat crying all the time. If she was so good at it. And of course I'm up here laughing. She probably would have beat me too, but man, she she wrestled in the heavyweight division and regularly made guys walk off the mat crying. It was awesome. Rippy, a question for you on the uh, Ceasefire text line. Is Rippy's Twitter profile picture of just a few days ago after hitting some balls in the cage? <laughs> what is oh, the T-ball. It's yeah, your T-ball picture. <laughs> Had that one up a while. It's a good one though. It is. I mean, it makes your mom smile every time she sees that. Probably so. I don't need you weirdos knowing what I look like anyway. Um, the old saying goes, someone not afraid of you is someone to worry about. Someone afraid of you will hurt you. Okay. That's kind of deep. Feels a little. It? Feels a little bit, you know, like I, I, don't, I don't quite know what he just said. <laughs> Put it that way. But like, I don't think that's the saying. Huh? <laughs> The yeah. calmest guy in the fight is always the the one to fear the most, though. Like you see these random YouTube videos of street fights or something, and the one guy that's just kind of standing around or like walking by, not being phased by it. If he was in the mix, he would dominate everybody. Always. Hey, Dan, I asked you a second ago um, as we were going to the break. I said not only a talented football player, but apparently somebody's teammates will rally around talking about KJ Costello coming in at Mississippi State. You mentioned that that was obviously important. Yeah, question comes in, wasn't that the same story as last season's transfer quarterback? Well, I mean, he was voted team captain. I don't think that there was an issue of the team rallying around him. I think the issue was he was never healthy and beyond that. I don't think that his ability to lead was the issue for Mississippi State last year. In terms of the preseason projections, Texter says Ole Miss is going to be better than that, better than sixth in the West. And then uh, we got a, a separate message that said Ole Miss could have a pretty decent team and finish 13 and 17 in the league. And if they do, they'll be an NCAA tournament team. Yeah, I mean, you could say that about pretty much anyone. You know, one, two, through five, or six in the West is just not much, uh, not much difference. With the way you guys are talking, I mean, it's probably a conversation we have most off seasons going into baseball. But is this the year where the SEC is as deep as it's ever been? That's every year. That's every year. For yeah, me. but I mean, I mean, yes, it's every every year. But is it more so this year? I, I would say I'm going to say no 
because maybe because Auburn is up a little bit. That that's what makes it deeper than ever is when a team that you don't like you expect Arkansas, Vanderbilt, Georgia, Florida State, Ole Miss to be good, right? When a team like Auburn, who historically not great, when they jump into the fray a little bit and they're starting to get first place votes, maybe that's the difference. Tennessee in the East. That's another one, yeah. So maybe you're all right, yeah. Well, and you know, kind of based on what you had last year, I mean, you had the national champion from last season. You had Mississippi State in the College World Series last year. Are there any other SEC teams in the College World Series? Arkansas. Auburn, Arkansas, and Mississippi State. There were four. So half of the World Series field, including the national champion, was from the SEC. And three from the West. Will you see that again this year? Don't know. Strider in Indianola says, let's stop talking about last year. New coaches and players for all. That's something to get excited about. Not sure if he's talking about football or baseball. Yeah. But I think tying last year to this year um, makes some sense, though, when you're looking at baseball and what this season might look like in the SEC. Sports Talk Mississippi, one hour in the books. We will be right back with you. Back with you, it is Sports Talk Mississippi rolling into the 4 o'clock hour. Thanks for being with us. Spending part of your Thursday afternoon with the crew from Sports Talk Mississippi. Brian Scott Rippey, who's uh, taking some abuse today. Brian Haydad. Who takes it Michael every day. Borky, I'm Richard Cross. I feel like Rippy's just laying in, lying in the weeds, waiting to pounce today. Are you saying he's a snake? Didn't say that. I'm just I was thinking more of like a jungle cat on that reference. Maybe. All of that went over my head. Do what now? <laughs> Which is another way <laughs> of saying, I was playing words with friends while you were talking, Richard. What was oh, that? Oh, man. Scrabble, bro. You don't know any about any vowels. Um... What 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 was that? I'd ask it again. I was just saying that I felt like you had taken some abuse today, but watch out because Rippy's the kind of guy that just lies in the weeds and waits for his time, and then he pounces, and you didn't even see it coming. It's not even a wrestling reference. I mean, whatever. I could eviscerate anyone at any moment, but I'm choosing not to. Anyone? Yes, anyone. See. Dirt Dog 69 on the text line tries me today. We'll see what happens. <laughs> 601-879-4395, the number for you to jump into the conversation on the Seaspire text line. Seaspire customer inspired. So, hey Dad, you and I finished the show yesterday by talking about crazy recruiting stories. Yeah. And we mentioned a few of the, you know, kind of high-level ones that people probably remember. Where does this story fit into the mm, odd things you hear about on National Signing Day? Shreveport, Louisiana. A Northwood High School football player's National Signing Day commitment to play for an SE, uh, play for the SEC for a Division I school appears to have been a hoax. Which is kind of interesting wording. I guess it would depend on who was the perpetrator of the hoax. Article goes on to say hundreds of athletes put their name on the dotted line on National Signing Day committing to attending a given 
college on scholarship. But KTAL KMSS has learned that one of them signed a letter of commitment to Ole Miss on Wednesday for an offer that does not exist. Northwood wide receiver Detravian Brown signed a letter of commitment. Some would call it a letter of intent. Purportedly for Ole Miss saying, I'd like to thank God for everything he did for me. I wouldn't be here in this position. When asked what it was about Ole Miss that made him want to spend his next four years there, Brown replied, the coaching staff. They loved me when I got out there. And you know, I just fell in love with the town and everything. Talking about playing in the SEC, it's a big stage, but like I'm built for it. I know I'm built for it. And I know I'm going to be playing big, top-notch guys, but I think I'm ready for it. However, Ole Miss confirmed to the Arklatex news leader KTAL KMSS on Wednesday afternoon that no scholarship has been extended to Brown and that the university has no paperwork on him. Now, originally, Northwood High School chose not to speak on the record about the signing. Two sources told the news outlet that Brown did have another Division I scholarship on the table, but that he proceeded with signing a fake letter of commitment to Ole Miss anyway. There's an update to this story today, and it includes Detravian Brown releasing a statement that says he believed he did have a verbal offer from Ole Miss. His mother also posted a statement apologizing to his supporters and blaming lack of communication. First and foremost, I think you feel bad for Detravian Brown. Because this is supposed to be a a special day for him. And at least it seems on the surface like he thought he was signing a national letter of intent to Ole Miss unless he fabricated the the letter of intent. I was told that he was recruited as kind of a backup option, and then at a certain point he was told very clearly that they were going in a different direction and then uh, chose to sign with Ole Miss anyway. Now that's only one side of things. That is from like the Ole Miss side of things, but... Could there have been a miscommunication, I guess, but I was told it was made clear they were going in a different direction and that they were fairly shocked when that happened yesterday. Do people take enough time to look at this and go, this really wasn't Ole Miss's doing? Or does Ole Miss look like a bad guy in this thing? I guess that depends on whether or not you want to read and think, right? I mean, if you don't get a letter to sign, then it's kind of on you to put one and two together, or at least an adult in the room to realize, hey, if they didn't send you a letter of intent, that means there's there's nothing for you to sign, so don't sign today? I, I mean, it. how do you well, screw Apparently he had an offer from North Texas as well. Exactly. So what did he sign with him today? I don't know if we mentioned Okay, so he did sign. Well, good. I'm glad he's got a, a landing spot and can go there and can... Yeah, good for him. Yeah. So what was the play here for Brown? Is he trying to force Ole Miss's hand? I, I don't know. Maybe he wanted to pay. I mean, play I mean, in the is, SEC and panicked. I, I don't really know. I mean, this isn't the first time like this breaking has news: eighteen-year-old kid does something not smart. Like, yeah, there was a kid a few years ago who he he didn't even have any offers. He just made the whole thing up, where he started out with like a little white lie, I think, and it just built and built and built. 
Didn't he end up he signing with Notre Dame or something? At air quotes, he signed with, signing with Oregon. I Oregon, believe. that's right. He, he said he had offers from like Oregon, Cal, and all these places. Had the big signing day, put the hat on, everybody's cheering, and then Oregon's like, "Who?" <laughs> I mean, at least with Ole Miss, they were recruiting this kid at some point. That kid had never visited any college campus. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. It wasn't completely fabricated, like the one y'all are referencing. But I also don't. It doesn't. To me, it does not sound like there was in, any miscommunication. Although that, I mean, I guess you you can always have a one sided miscommunication. I don't think this is like a Willie Mays Hayes situation where he just showed up at camp. <laughs> <laughs> Get him a uniform. Great job, Hayes. Don't ever do that again. <laughs> I'm not sure I got that line exactly right, but you get the gist. Well, you can't um, use the word that you missed. So. Yeah. yeah. Uh, very well could have been, I mean, because Ole Miss was in on a, a receiver that went to Tennessee instead. Maybe he thought, well, since they didn't get him, uh, they're going to turn to me and went ahead and signed. That, to me, Occam's razor seems like the most likely outcome. When Ole Miss missed yeah. on their number one receiver prospect, he assumed that meant he was backup plan and he was getting an offer so therefore, he did the ceremony. Yeah. Oh, okay. Occam's razor and whatnot. Most likely is out, uh, most likely outcome. But what happened here? Did this kid go to the computer lab at school and open up a word document and type out a pseudo letter of intent to have at the table in front of him to sign and say "hotty toddy"? Because if he did then that's kind of on him. And and, and I feel like you, you got to play with kid gloves a little bit when you're talking about somebody that's still in high school. I mean, I, I'm not, not necessarily being critical, but at the same time you go, how was this ever going to work? You know, what, what, what happened in your mind that thought, you know what, this is a good idea. I'll just force an SEC school's hand, even though they told me clearly... We've decided to go a different direction, and they didn't send me the papers necessary to sign and fax in. No, I'll just create it in the computer lab. I'll just print it off before I leave the house this morning. This looks semi-real. Then he's got his family and friends and classmates and whatever else kind of sitting around watching the National Signing Day festivities, and then the news comes back, and it's... Different story. Well, it's like that movie Catch Me If You Can, where the the eighteen year old yeah, kid became a good, pilot. Yeah. Maybe he was just going to become a football player. Louis asks a reasonable question: Where was the high school coach in all of this? Maybe that's part of the one sided communication. Yeah. Jeffrey and Tupelo says, looks bad from the outside looking in for Ole Miss, but once you read the story, it's clearly not their fault. Another says, I had the same question. Where did he get the national letter of intent? Way to go, Rippy, killing it with the Major League reference. Great reference by Rippy. Richard and Wiggins wants to know if Ole Miss tore up the signed national letter of intent that was fabricated Nancy Pelosi style. Sports Talk, Mississippi. We will be right back. 
Strider's a little hot and bothered. I mentioned Hey Dad a few minutes ago. He said, let's stop talking about last year, new coaches and players for all. That's something to get excited about. And I said I wasn't sure if we were talking about baseball or football. He followed it up. He said, football, nobody compares about comparing last year's grad transfer quarterback to this year. Different scenarios, i.e., we want to forget about that fiasco, never mind what the Yankee chud did to Keaton Thompson for his hand-picked golden boy that never panned out. I will say this, when Moorhead picks his horse, he rides it to death. Okay, then. You're very angry. You should. Let's, 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 uh, let's take a deep breath. Mm. It's going to be all right. Moving with our lives here. I don't think it's that outlandish to it is an outlandish compare when you have consecutive years with a grad transfer coming uh, quarterback coming in. Let's Especially when you have... Probably it's probably a, a a derogatory term of some sort. It's fairly derogatory, but I did look it up in the old Urban Dictionary. I've not been to Urban Dictionary in a while. Hey, Dad, maybe a little rusty. <laughs> I'm just saying. A friend of mine, uh, actually, a relative of you mine, didn't catch the hook. Editor. No, I did. I, I I get it. I get the rusty thing. I got it. We're good. We're on the same page. Uh, anyway, I was going to say before all that chicanery happened. That you got a lot of MSU fans on social media and on uh, on message boards who are gun shy about Costello because he's a transfer. No other reason. Not the, the, the situations aren't that similar, but the fact that State's going after another grad transfer quarterback. There's some people who are just like, I don't know if this is the road we want to go down again. So you know, it, it's rel- it's relevant to talk about. Just calm down there, Rippy. It's going to be okay. Well, is it exactly fair to say about. that Stevens was a disaster or anything like that? I- Look, it didn't work out, and Jim Moorhead got fired. But when he was healthy, he was good. It's all, just all he couldn't that, stay. Yeah, yeah I, seriously, like two and a half games. But the talent was there. It made sense bringing him in. He just could simply couldn't stay healthy. And right. I, I don't. I mean, if you're a coach, can you really predict that? Well, I'm going to bring this kid in who's talented, who knows my system. He fits it. Hell, he was elected team captain before the season started, so the acclimation with the team worked out just fine, and yet he couldn't stay healthy. That's not an indictment on Moorhead. It just that's just what happens sometimes in sports. Much like prior in, in, injury history, he did. But I mean, you can't. He didn't play much at Penn State. He didn't play much. I just, I just don't, I don't. I, much like you can't, I don't really fault Cohen for the hiring of Moorhead because at the time it made sense. At the time, getting Stevens made sense. And at this time, getting KJ Costello makes sense. Makes perfect. sense. I mean, there is there is a scenario. You'd rather not think about it if you're a Bulldog fan, but there's a scenario where you could look up this time next year and go. It made sense at the time. It just didn't work out. Right. Hey, you hope that's not the case. But you make decisions in the present, and then it's real easy to peek into the old rearview mirror and go, yeah. oh, well, we should have done it that way. Well, maybe. And in this case, this guy's actually started games. Like, a and lot of them. at a high level. Yeah. Yeah. Like like uh, Scott told us, that this was a guy that people were expecting to be in the NFL or getting ready for the NFL at this point. And he just hasn't, you know, with the injuries and everything, hasn't been able to do that. But the talent's not the issue here. And the production's not the issue. The, the only issue is, I think the issue is not even so much can can Costello do well in Leach's system. I think it's can Leach's system do well in the SEC. 
And if that qu- answer to that question is yes, then everything else is going to be, you know, cream cheese, as they say. Speaking of Scott Reese, who was with us earlier on the Farm Bureau phone line, you remember him on Sports Center, hey Dad? No. Hadn't thought about that in a long time, but I did a little Scott Reese Google image search, and there he was sitting right next to SVP at the belt. And I was like, I remember him. Well, there you go. Yeah. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, I did. I do not remember him. Um, Question here. Won't it benefit both Schrader and Rogers having K.J. Costello there in multiple ways? Absolutely. First off, Schrader needs to redshirt. They wanted to redshirt him last year, and they just couldn't. And have you know having a guy where you're not in a position where, because honestly, I don't, I don't buy into Keaton Thompson ever being the quarterback in Mississippi State. Jalen Maiden is interesting to me because you know Texas high school football quarterback. You think you would just plug right into an air raid system, but we'll see what happens there. But Roger, you want to redshirt Rogers for sure, and you'd like to redshirt Schrader. So yeah, having a senior quarterback who can take the majority of the snaps is exactly what you want. Message here says, safe to say, Leach gets the benefit of the doubt. Moorhead hasn't and didn't earn. There's, yeah, absolutely. Brad says, the last time Leach was in Mississippi, he was in Oxford, and his quarterback put up almost 700 yards passing against a pretty good old Miss team. Hmm? Was it that? Was that Kingsbury? It was Kingsbury the year they played in Lubbock, and I think in the return trip to Oxford it was a different quarterback. Is it Simons? I think it was B.J. Simons. That would have been, what, 2003, right? Kingsbury graduated. Yeah, Kingsbury was in the 03 draft. So. Yeah. Second team All-Big 12, B.J. Simons in 2003. A little off topic, but I don't mind going off topic here. Hey, that apparently something that uh, good lord he threw for six hundred and sixty-one yards in that game. My God, that game was a forty-seven thirty-four. Wow, it was pretty Eli Manning, man. Forty-seven thirty-four in two thousand three is not exactly the same thing as forty-seven thirty-four now. Forty-seven thirty-four in two thousand three is like sixty-five sixty-one. Appreciate the translation. No, you're hey, Dad, this is I apparently do, I, I something that um, you and Joel talked about on Thunder and Lightning. Sure. Would Jackie Robinson be the baseball player that transcended his sport? Oh, you're going to do a Mountain Rushmore here? I thought, I thought you weren't against. I thought you were against those. I didn't know. We, that we were asked this about a, a Mount, Mount Rushmore talk. Topic. It was a, a, a transcendent athlete, Mount Rushmore. And yes, Jackie Robinson would be a fine example for that. I assume Tiger was another one. I, I didn't think of Tiger, but yes, he would be on there. I, I've got my Mount Rushmore ready now for when I do the podcast later this evening. So, four athletes across all sports that qualify as transcendent? Yeah, as more than just their sport. I, I, I think I have four that I like. Ooh. Jackie, Tiger. I think those are sure I, ends, I don't, aren't they? I don't, I, don't, I don't have Jackie Robinson on there. Oh. Well, Tiger for sure. Tiger. Jordan, I'll give it away. Jordan, Ali, Tiger, and Pele. And last week, all you need the evidence. Kobe Bryant's got to be on there, would you think? Above Jordan, though, I, I don't. I, I'm not gonna put him on there. Transcendent. That means he transcends what his like natural thing is and goes beyond that. I agree with that, but above Jordan, I, I'm not gonna put him on there. 
Michael Jordan I only have four. Is the transcendent basketball player in the history yeah. of the game. I only have four. So Jordan is ahead of Kobe for me. As my, I mean, that, and this is me, Laker Homer, telling you I would put Jordan ahead of Kobe there. Michael Jordan had, has not played basketball in the NBA in 20 years, and he's still globally recognized. Has it been 20 years? Close, right? Michael oh Jordan God, yeah. is still, to this day, the top shoe seller in basketball. He sells Jordan brand still sells more shoes than any other player existing today. Like the year 2019, Jordan sold more shoes than LeBron, for example. Would Jesse Owens be on that list? He could be on that list, yeah. No, he could be on that list for me. He's not, but he could be. Some guy said Pistol Pete. One of those things is not like the other. Yeah, it's not the same. No. Richard Wiggins says in Jordan 20s are like $600. It's true. There you go. Uh, just tuned in. Don't know if it's been mentioned, but Tommy Stevens had 41 career pass attempts. Costello has more touchdown passes than Stevens had attempts. It's not a comparison. It was crazy to even raise the question, apples to thumbtacks. Well, it's not crazy to raise the question, though, because while, yes, the numbers are different... The reality is both are graduate transfer quarterbacks who are coming in with one year to play and have an injury history in their background. All you got to do is say they're not that they're 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 similar but different. Yeah, yeah. There, there there's enough similarities to make a comparison, and then when you look deeper, you find the differences and say, okay, maybe these situations aren't. But to act like it's ludicrous and, and, and to bring it up is just ridiculous. Well, that's what the whole thing was in reference to. The hey Dad saying some MSU people fans had trepidation. Yeah. It wasn't us necessarily saying that. Yeah, yeah. You can forget that though. It's now pinned on us. Oh, did you hear what the idiots on? Uh, we're, yeah, we're trying to say that. Uh, hey Dad Costello tried to set up straight thing as Tommy Stevens. Yeah. Go ahead and peck that one out, Cheryl Dog sixty eight. Get it out there. <laughs> did you go with Cheryl Dog. Yeah, Cheryl yeah, Dog. And when I see Rippy Rebel, I'm going to be really excited. I could go all day on these on both sides. Maybe throw in a nice mustard buzzard 69 or something if you want to include all three schools. <laughs> nice. Sports Talk Mississippi with uh, you. we got more coming up. We'll take a quick timeout. Rippy, you made Jimmy in Hattiesburg laugh. Ceasefire text on, he said, Mustard buzzard, thought I had heard them all. That's hilarious. BSR is pound for pound the heavyweight yuckster. Well, I didn't invent that. I'd heard that from someone else. I understand. But to Jimmy in Hattiesburg, you just did. How could you live in Hattiesburg and never have heard that before, though? Now you got me thinking, is there an Ole Miss nickname that maybe people in Oxford wouldn't know? Wouldn't have heard somewhere along the way. Yeah, I'm just thinking. Like, if you're so insular about it, you know, I never really left Oxford. I don't know. Masseuse Reb. Masseuse. <laughs> I've thought these out before. I've written down like the worst screen because nothing is more hilarious to me is when people refer to like, or go by something like not their name on Twitter or something like that. So I've kind of ranked. Oh, no, like, I've been there and, and done made that, some yeah. up myself. I've, I've met people. They're like, I'm so and so. I'm like, I'm Brian. It's nice to meet yeah. you. 
Somebody says, please let Mustard Buzzard 69 be available on Twitter. Better go <laughs> fast. It's going to be in demand. Uh, some things I probably shouldn't read on the air. Hey, did you guys see this from the head football coach at uh, Delta State? Football Scoop picked up the story and uh, wrote about it a little bit. So a, a video from... Um, yesterday, National Signing Day, Delta State, of course, Division Two. Head coach Todd Cooley took the podium to talk about their class yesterday. And uh, the story says it's probably safe to say that everyone in the room expected that standard script. However, what took place was not the typical signing day presser. Fired up and emotional, Todd Cooley stood in front of cameras with a message to deliver to a handful of recent decommitments. Here's some of what he said. We have a problem right now. I'm excited to get these guys. We had four guys in the last week and a half who decommitted from us. I don't even know if that's a real word. Me and Dana George talk about this every day. I don't think that's a real word. But they decommitted from us. They were committed, and then they decommitted. It is not a real word, but continue. That's our problem nowadays. We have parents allowing kids to decommit. We have coaches allowing kids to decommit. I wasn't raised that way. That's not what we are going to do in this football program. So I want them to thank them publicly for decommitting because it was not going to work with us. I can promise you that. We talk about in our program, we want to be men first. Our definition of being a man at Delta State football is real simple. Do what you say you're going to do. Sorry, do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. Close quote. There's a lot he says there that I agree with. I always use the term abandon instead of decommit. Doesn't it just sound better? In 2010, C.J. Surpri- Johnson abandoned Mississippi State for Ole Miss. I'm just surprised he's shocked that like recruiting created a word that's not really a word. I mean, kids can. Commu- I mean, emojis in recruiting in their own language. Well, and like a commitment doesn't actually mean. Well, anything. but come on now, the story is not. Whether or not decommit as well. No, word. but on top of that, like the 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 players have the power. You're the one that wants them to come to school there. Like, well, commitment doesn't actually mean anything. It doesn't it's not binding. It's not anything. And also, if this is going to be your stance, then never take a flip from another school. Never. If a kid commits to another school, never recruit him again because you want them to honor their commitment. And also. Um, stop taking better jobs because you've done that multiple times in your career. You've done what everybody would have done given the opportunity is to better yourself. And if you have a a better opportunity, go take it because that's what you do in life. You advance yourself. And if a kid has an opportunity, he feels like is better for himself, then he will go take it. So uh, be the head coach at Delta State for the remainder of your career. Never leave. Because... Or, I, I, I mean, but I'm coming at this from a little bit different angle. I think I get what you're saying, Borky. I completely do, and I don't necessarily have a problem with what Todd Cooley says. I don't think you can get away with saying what he said, though, if you're a coach at the Power Five level. This probably doesn't make a lot of waves nationally. And it doesn't make a ton of waves in the state of Mississippi. The, 
But like any other... We're, seven... we're, we're different, though. I mean, the, the, the world in which we live is different than it has been. It doesn't make it right, but it is different. But it... I don't relate to this at all. Like, I mean, it, what you take, take the sports side out of it. Like, you tell me, like, a kid's a junior and, like, he's going somewhere. Like, I'd like to thank everyone in the Vanderbilt Accounting School. Uh, I'm proud to be a Commodore. Like, get the abacus ready. No interviews. And then, like, six months later, he decides he doesn't want to go to Vanderbilt anymore. Is that him dropping his commitment? It doesn't make any sense. Right. Or, yeah. I mean, then I get date a girl in high school and, and never break up with her. It's, it's, a, it's not a kids these days problem. It's now the but, but, it's but, inconvenienced but, you, and now you have a problem with it. When you've spent but your... But the idea of giving your word and saying, I am going to do this... I mean... You're Isn't tell- there something to be said for, I gave you my word, and so I'll stand by what I said I would, would do? Absolutely. We- but at 17, it, I I bet all of us, at some point of our lives, said things to a girlfriend that ended up not being true, and we needed to get out of that situation because it ended up not being right for us. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, we've all baseball. been there. They, baseball, they offer kids that don't have a driver's license. You're going to take a 13-year-old at his word? I was planning, uh, I mean, I was down the road going to a, a small in-state college in South Carolina. I was down the road. That's what I was going to do, but then a, a different opportunity that I wanted more came to me, so I took it. I had a job Coach, offer. Coaches could fix this, too. Coaches could easily fix this. Stop, like Borky just said, stop recruiting committed players. Yeah. Make it, make it a, I mean, and they're not going to do that, but I'm just saying, they could fix it. They say, look, once you commit, you can't visit here. We are not going to recruit you. You're not going to send you any mail. You commit, you're out. You're done. We, we You don't exist to us. If everybody had that mentality, this problem would go away overnight. Mm-hmm. But it's I, not going to happen because play, coaches want talented players. And they'll do whatever they can I, I, to I get think a, I think a Amazingly question. enough that it still rains in baseball. Yeah. For the most yeah. part. Mostly, very rarely. Like, it, it, yeah, very rare. Um, the most popular player in this state the past two, three years was a flip. Jake Mangum was committed to, to Alabama. He flipped to, to Mississippi State. But that was after a coaching change. Yeah. Very, that, that yeah. Was, it's, it's still just very rare to see. There. Yeah. Very rare to see. Borky, I think it was you that said this a second ago. It would be important information to know if. Delta State, Todd Cooley, continued to recruit anyone that was committed to another school. Because you can't have your cake and eat it too. Right. In, and you in, know he in did. In this situation. But that only explains half of it because it's, and I, it, this is the right thing to do. If you want to advance your career, this is what you do. But he, he's left jobs for better opportunities before. Mm. Ceasefire text line. Todd accepted at least one flip because he's my kid. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Okay. But uh, I get what. But the point but he's making makes him sense. Saying that, I also get him saying that because players, I mean, coaches get increasingly frustrated. Like you're seeing dudes like uh, Chris Peterson retiring just because he gets tired of you know massaging personalities and stuff, which I don't think he to do as much. So I get why he's saying it, but like I just can't really like. I don't agree with it necessarily. Brent says change the word from commit to in a relationship with. Civil union. It's complicated. Facebook them. Yeah. yeah uh, 
Was it Dan Mullen that used to say reservations? As reservations, commitments? yeah. Yeah. Um, Philip in Ellisville says commitment, accountability, responsibility. There's not much of that these days. Big problem all over, not just rec- recruiting. My favorite is when the kid, like I'd see, like you know, someone releases their top ten or like the nothing tops the uh, I'm still 100% committed to X, but my recruitment is still open. Yeah. In which you <laughs> go, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay, breathing comprehension and whatnot. Skull emoji, fire emoji. Um, but kids didn't magically in the last few years start getting dumb. The the, I, the, the kids these days hey, thing is so, is nonsense to me because we didn't Borky, just start acting stupid now. Forky, let me let me let me tell you something that's coming up in your life, and I, I pr- <laughs> please 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 understand. I'm not talking down when I say this. Absolutely, you just not. haven't had the experience yet. Hey, Dad, you've had this experience. Guarantee 100 percent you have had this experience. You're in the drop-off line at school. It's raining. A portion of the area that you drop kids off is covered by an awning. The rest of it is not. You just get out on the sidewalk. There is a flow as to how drop-off should go every single morning. Seven cars get to the drop-off point. All the kids get out, they pull out, seven kids pull up into, you know, you pull seven new cars in. That's how it works. Until you get to entitled parent, not an entitled kid, entitled parent who pulls under the awning and stops with four spaces in front of them, slowing down the line for everyone else. What are you teaching your kid? Kids don't learn bad habits on their own. They learn bad habits from selfish parents. Love it. It's true. Happy to have Jared back on the text line. Borky, the decommitment conversation sparked a nerve with him because the last time Jared texted us, August 21st of 2017, oh, Wow! when he checked in to let us know that there was a line to get eclipse glasses that stretched the entire length of the drill field. Remember when we were passing out the eclipse glasses a couple of years back? Yeah, and uh, I was the idiot because... Okay, it was Rhino's fault, but you could see it from inside of our office building. For those of you listening that have never been here, there are windows like kind of on the ceiling, so you can look up through the window and see the sky sometimes. And I'm walking out of the building, and Rhino stops and says, hey, you can see the eclipse. And I look, I just follow his hand, and I look straight up right into the sun. Like an idiot. But yeah, I remember that day. Didn't the president do that? (laughs) He did. But Rhino duped me. I was just... Following his lead. President at the time was still Barack Obama, right? Not 17? No. no. Uh-uh. 17? No. Wait, where, what year are we in? There's no, that we're famous gift no, 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 where Trump, right. they're doing some kind of eclipse thing. <laughs> I about that. There's that famous gift where they're trying to do that eclipse thing, and they all got the glasses on, and then Trump just stares right into it. <laughs> Looking into the soul of the eclipse. So, and Jared, thanks for, uh, on the Super Bowl. thanks for joining us on the... Ceasefire text line and for uh, checking in. Don't be a stranger. Uh, amen on the kids learning habits and entitlement for the, from the parents. Um, has Delta State ever pulled a scholarship off from a kid because someone better became available? Says Delta State's coach is living in la-la land. He's impractical and selfish. I mean, listen, 
I think it's okay for Todd Cooley to have that opinion. I just I don't think that plays right with where we are in football because there's so much change everywhere. Can't, I mean, both sides can be right. I know it's not the best thing for, for talk radio to straddle the middle, but there is – you would like a 17- or 18-year-old kid to learn what commitment means. Don't tell a coach that you're going to come play for him and then end up going somewhere else. But, I mean, I was 18 once. I had decisions made for my life that I changed because, number one, I was 18 and I didn't know what I wanted for dinner on a given night, let alone what my future was going to be. I changed my major once in college. I I had girlfriends in the past that didn't work out. I had a job offer right out of college to move back to South Carolina. I was about to accept it, but then I got offered here, and I stayed here. It, life is constantly throwing you things like that, and all of you have made a choice at some point in your life that you thought was better for your future than your current situation. So these kids may have thought a different offer came, and you know what? I would rather go there. I think that's better for my future, and they made that decision. All of us have done that at one point in our life, and so I'm not going to... I'm not okay with a kid getting ripped on for making a choice that he thinks is better for his future and his family and himself because I've done that same thing a dozen times in my life or more. Message from a buddy of mine says, the fact that Todd Cooley's getting beat up over this is more of an indictment on our society than it is on him. It's not that he's getting beat up. It's just incredibly unrealistic and fairly hypocritical. And it's one of a a string of comments the past couple days from coaches. Justin Fuente and yeah, uh, I, I Randy wanted to Edsel. go there. I just hadn't got, yeah. gotten there. That yet. well, Edsel, Edsel's just saying he's not taking transfers because he wants to keep that ridiculous bonus structure in shape, where they get a first down and he gets a hundred k. I can see why he doesn't want to do that. Every three star is ten is ten k. Every four star is twenty k. But they can't they until twenty four seven starts grading transfers. You're just out of luck on that. Doesn't Ole Miss play UConn next year? Like this that coming year? Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. We talked about that. They didn't we? About how, yeah, we're because Rippy can keep up with the bonuses for us in real time. Yeah. Yeah. Wesley McGriff would have made him a rich man. <laughs> <laughs> he could that's so, doubling up, but McGriff made himself a rich man too. Justin Fuente, head football coach at Virginia Tech, not a fan of the transfer portal. I wonder why. Justin Fuente said Wednesday that Hokies players who have recently entered the NCAA transfer portal won't be allowed to return. Fuente, speaking to reporters on National Signing Day, said the coaching staff recently decided that players who enter their names in the portal cannot come back to the team. Although the large majority of FBS players who enter the portal end up transferring, some return to their original teams if scholarships are still available. Virginia Tech quarterback Hendon Hooker and running back Deshaun McLeese both entered the transfer portal before removing their names and returning to the team last February. Hooker became Virginia Tech's starting quarterback last season. We talked about that. We talked about it as a team, Fuente said. We talked about Hendon and Deshaun last year and how that was me not doing a job educating them. We'll take all of them on a case-by-case basis, but we're moving forward. Is he talking out of both sides of his mouth? Yes. Yes. I mean, other than Dan Mullen, whose name in twenty 
14 to 16 appeared more in job searches. Well, he hates the portal because it's decimating his roster. If he was building his roster base off of it, he would love it. What was their recruiting class ranking, by the way? I think it was in the 70s. Maybe they yeah, should, you somewhere know. Somewhere around there. They're going to need to look in the transfer portal soon. Sports talk. He didn't say he wouldn't take transfers, just the guys that left his team couldn't come back. Start of the 5 o'clock hour with you on this Thursday afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky back with us today. Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. If you missed any of the show, you can always go back and grab it on demand at supertalk.fm or you can download a podcast of the show. Be uh, more than happy for uh, you to do that. Go back and listen at whatever point it is convenient for you. The Gallo Show and the JT Show, with me guest hosting tomorrow, will be at the Ole Miss Student Union. Discover how Ole Miss is leading in growing the state of Mississippi locally and nationally through education and opportunity, presented by the University of Mississippi Insight Park, Baptist North Mississippi, and TVA. Looking forward to that. Got a bunch of good guests lined up tomorrow. Uh, Chancellor at Ole Miss is uh, scheduled to join Paul in the morning as well. I mentioned I'll be filling in. Uh, some of you may have missed this yesterday. As many of you know, last Friday, JT announced that he was recently diagnosed with lymphoma. On Monday, while preparing to begin treatment for the lymphoma, JT experienced some unexpected complications and is currently hospitalized in intensive care in Jackson. His family... And our Telesouth Media family ask for your continued prayers through this difficult time. If you would like to send a card of encouragement to JT, you can send it to uh, to us, and we will make sure that he gets it. Super Talk Mississippi, care of JT, 6311 Ridgewood Road, Suite 200N, as in North, Jackson, Mississippi, 39211. And... Uh, if you missed the address, reading it out, if you want us, uh, you can text us. We'll send you the address, and uh, it's also available on the uh, Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed as well as the Super Talk Twitter feed as well. Time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. It is truck month. Good deals, good savings, but more than anything, good trucks. F-150, best-selling truck in America for 43 consecutive years. Plus, you got the Super Duty and the Ranger. If you've not been behind the wheel of a Ford truck recently, stop by your local Mississippi Ford dealer. You see them all over the road. There's a reason that so many people are driving Ford trucks. They're simply the best trucks that are out there. All right. Late last night slash early this morning, if you prefer. Hey, Dad, is 3 a.m., is 2 a.m. late or early? That's late for me. All righty, then. Late last night, Mississippi State head coach Mike Leach took to the Twitters. If you are stick-to-sports guy, then I don't know how you classify this. An intersection of sports and politics? Next on Get Up. Y'all Politics wrote, Mississippi college football fans aren't accustomed to having a coach speak out on the political issues of the day, but they've never had a coach quite like Mike Leach. 
Last night he tweeted, as an American, does anyone really want Mitt Romney on their side? Mike Leach does have ties to Utah. He attended BYU in the 1980s. There were a bunch of responses to the initial tweet. Mike Leach also tweeted, those that believe in the competence of Mitt Romney, what do you trust him to do? And then in response to some of the responses, he says, the people that have called me names really haven't suggested what their approach or position is. I'm curious what others suggest. We can call names all night, but a clear, thought-out idea would be more productive. If you're a Romney fan, say so. And why? Don't hide behind names. So, <laughs> there's that. And then sometimes this uh, this morning, those tweets were deleted. Hey, Dad, there's so many questions that now have to be asked. I just don't know that we have answers. I think this is all in relation to that photo that's going around of Romney and an old Miss Polo, personally. I don't. I don't think this has anything to do with politics. He just he doesn't trust you any of y'all. You don't think it had anything to do with what Mitt Romney stood <laughs> on the Senate floor and said yesterday. No comment. Uh, I mean, this is Mike Leach, man. He was doing this stuff at Washington State. This this is. You know, if there's been one message I've tried to put out since Mike Leach was hired, is you have to take the whole package here. Yes, you get the offensive uh, firepower and and you get the 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 fun stories and and the and the laughter and the humor, but you get some of this too. And uh, it's always interesting to me, and I, I don't want to go. I don't really don't want to delve too far into politics because nothing makes me more uncomfortable. But normally, the people who are telling you to stick to sports are people on the right. They don't want to hear the left talking about sports. Rippy knows what I'm talking about. And this is this is an and this this is an opportunity here. Hey, hey time out real quick. Right. Time out real yeah. quick. Yeah. Going back to our conversation about commitment a minute ago, there was a texter yeah. that wanted to know if. Uh, um, if if Bernie was defeated in the primary, if he would stick to his commitment and feel the burn, or if he would <laughs> move his support to a different candidate. I just got a ton of not my nominee shirts. I'm ready to get fired up. <laughs> but anyway, long story short, Carry you know, on, somebody, sorry. somebody on the right talking about you know, something outside of sports. I wonder if you know it, it'll be. There's something I love more than hypocrisy. I love it. I love it when something when state does something and screws up, and Ole Miss fans like to chime in on that. And then five weeks later, it happens the other way around, and everybody starts backtracking. Love it. It's sort of the same thing here. But this is what Leach does. He's he is a political guy. He likes to talk about politics on Twitter. You're gonna have to take if 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 it bothers you. Well, you're just gonna have to live with it. Why were the tweets we, deleted? That's a good question, and I don't know the I honestly don't know the answer to it. I, I mean, the, the, because the question is. Yeah, did Mike Leach tweet the uh, delete those tweets on his own volition? Yeah, which doesn't really seem to be his style. Mm-hmm. Or was it suggested to him, or was he instructed to delete the tweets? I don't know the answer to that. To, to be to be totally factual, I I have heard that he was not instructed by Mississippi State, and I, I'm not talking. I didn't get that from Mississippi State people. I got that from people outside of Mississippi State. That there was no, hey, you got to do this. So maybe he just thought the better of it. Maybe maybe he thought this is not a fight I'm willing to fight. You know, a month into my first job, to my new job here, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but I do know that they were deleted. 
But I will say this. I would hey, expect at I some got, point in the future to see something like that again. I've got two observations here. The people here replying to have probably the most stereotypical Internet names of all time. The last guy replied to his Twitter handle is at FloridaMan underscore seven. The one before that is Beans in the Theater. And the one before that is Liberals for Trump. And then no mustard buzzard is, 69, though. This guy is Brian, not Brain. And then the other thought on this, would it play well if he was just to, like, would it play as well if he was just on the other side of the spectrum politically and he's just like, what's the problem with I AOC? No. Yeah, I don't know. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, so let's be exactly. real for a second, right? I, I'm painting with a broad brush here. But I feel confident, hey, Dad, in saying the majority, and majority would be 50% plus one, I don't know how big of a majority. I would wager a fair amount that it is a larger majority than 50% plus one of Mississippi State fans are more conservative than liberal. Very fair. I don't think I'm going too far out on a limb there. No. Not even a little. You're not, you're not even in the tree. Similarly, that is true for Ole Miss fans, maybe not to the same degree. I mean, if we're if we were just doing percentages, if you made me say, "Hey, Richard," or, or, or if you said, "Hey, Richard," percentages, what percent of Mississippi State fans identify as conservatives or Republicans versus Democrats or something else? My guess, and I may be way off here, would be seventy-five, twenty-five. I was exa- exactly the percentage I had in my head, three to one. And if you said, hey, Richard, what would you guess the percentage breakdown is among Ole Miss fans? I would guess more in the 65-35, maybe 60-40. Mm. And I might be underestimating there. I'd say probably 65-35. And this will play better for Leach here than it would at his last stop. Because, you know, Washington is an incredibly liberal area. And I know I've just, just from checking a couple other people today on Twitter, there was a lot of, I'm glad we're not dealing with this anymore from Washington people, Washington state people. Jason said Dr. Keenan picked up the phone and had a word, would be my guess. Again, would be not nothing what more I was than told. a guess. Uh, hmm. Donald in Oxford says, did you know that Octibaha County is a very, very blue county? All your college counties are going to be that way, though. Ole Miss is, I mean, I would imagine a lot Lafayette is the same way. And, and what is, I don't know what Southern is in. Is it Forest? Uh, or Lamar? I don't know. Stan and Ripley says, what about Southern Miss fans? They all voted for Perot. <laughs> Ralph Nader. I, I, I would guess probably more in that 65-35 range. Sports Talk Mississippi. More coming up with you. That's your college football fix, kind of. Year after year. Just to finish up the conversation from a moment ago. Um, 2016 presidential election results. Lafayette County went uh, 58-40. Trump over uh, Clinton. Octibaha County was 48-47. Clinton over Trump. Rippy, you were campaigning in the wrong county that whole time. Who was? Rippy, who's campaigning in the in the wrong county. I told you I told you that March didn't need to be here. I don't campaign, I protest. 
Somebody somebody sent a message a second ago that said, is Rippy really a millennial communist? Someone ruined the bit because they answered no, and then I had one immediately after that said, yes, give me half your paycheck. Does that make you a communist or a socialist? I don't know. A communist like would anyone the knows thing. the difference these days anyway. <laughs> Basically the same thing. Hey, I want to read De uh, Derek's uh, text to us just a second ago, from uh, from a minute ago. He said, Todd Cooley is one of the most competitive coaches in the game. He goes above and beyond for his players in the community. He takes time with all the kids in the Delta, including my six-year-old son. He said something that needed to be said and is belittled for it. At least he had the courage to open his mouth about something everyone is thinking. Get to know him uh, like I do before judging him from Derek and the Delta. And I just responded to Derek. I said, look, discussing and having an opinion is not the same as judging. And we were not all in lockstep. I think I don't agree with all of what he said, but I have no problem with Todd Cooley saying it. I just think that I want to choose my words carefully here. If that's the road you're going down, you got to be completely, completely and totally going down that road. And it can't just be on the receiving end of commitments and decommitments. It's got to be in the way you recruit and the way you bring kids in. Like, there, there are layers to it. I understand the frustration that coaches have with decommitments after they have invested time, energy, and resources into recruiting a particular player. And it's frustrating if that player tells you, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, right up until the very end, and they go, yeah, I'm not in. And where does it leave you? But that's just the recruiting game in 2020. So, yeah, Derek, I, I don't want for a second you to think that we were belittling Todd Cooley for having an opinion, and we're certainly not belittling any of the good work that he's done as a coach or as a, uh, a member of the Cleveland or Delta community. Pretty sure all four of us understood where he's coming from. It's just not necessarily realistic. Yeah, I, th I think that's accurate. Yeah. Did we ever get to what Justin Fuente said? Or did we run out of time on that? We talked about it. Yeah, you got it. Okay. Wildly hypocritical. That's somebody I am judging. I am judging Justin Fuente. Randy Edsel, Connecticut head coach taking a hard-line stance on transfer, saying Wednesday that the Huskies will no longer be pursuing players from the transfer portal. Told reporters that players in the portal have, quote, got issues, close quote. Wow. And the UConn staff prefers those from high schools or junior colleges. He goes on to say, those guys have a little more edge to them because they want to play right now. Sometimes these guys from the portal think that they're enabled or entitled to something. You know, maybe it didn't work out because you didn't stay there and finish. That doesn't really make sense. I mean, that, quote that makes sense zero at all. sense. It is literally speaking, the opposite of what's true. Yeah. The, the, the reason you're in the transfer portal is because you want to play right now. Or, I'm not saying that this is frequent, but it's possible that a guy graduates in three or four years and genuinely cares about being a student athlete and might See, think it's beneficial to have a master's degree from somewhere besides where he got his undergraduate degree, or she. 
I'm not saying that's generally the reason why, but it could be. Enjoy losing with that mentality. Whew. Have yeah, fun. A, a, avoid the transfer portal in today's college football world at your own risk slash peril. Yeah. I'll judge those two guys. That's just dumb what they said. Didn't Randy Etzel leave UConn in, for Maryland in like the dark of the night without anyone knowing? Something like that, yeah. He's the guy with the ridiculous contract. Like there was one game, yeah. I think it was last season, that, where yeah. they lost by thirty-five points or something, but they had two turnovers, so we got a five thousand dollar bonus. Really? What's the rest of his contract like? <laughs> Man, I don't know the intimate details. <laughs> yeah, this is this is one that Rippy's been fascinated with for a while. All right, so let's go back to the Dak Prescott story. Dak Prescott and the Cowboys could be headed toward a tense offseason. NFL Network's Mike Garofalo reported that Dallas is expected to place a franchise tag on its starting quarterback. Prescott, of course, is determined to sign a multi-year extension and recently expressed confidence in that development. A new deal, however, appears to be a long way off per Garofalo and NFL Network insider Ian Rappaport. Quote, I've heard nothing to indicate that they are anywhere close, Prescott and the Cowboys, to a contract extension, close quote. Rappaport on the same show, NFL Game Day Morning, nodded in agreement and added, from what I understand, I would be very surprised if Dak Prescott showed up this offseason without a deal. Dak Prescott is currently under contract, but could potentially be moving toward holding out, trying to get a new deal. It's interesting because this actually kind of dovetails with what we've been talking about with regard to commitment, sticking with what you've done. But nobody... Here's the the fascinating... So, I don't know if I feel comfortable saying his name, but I have a, a friend who played in the NFL for a long time. And say what? Name dropper Richard Cross here. No, I'm choosing not to drop the name, actually. What's his name? (laughs) Bottom line is, whatever the terms of his contract were, he fulfilled the terms of his contract because he believed that signing that contract and giving his word that he would fulfill it was important. Then when the contract was up, would negotiate a new contract and fulfill the terms of that contract. That is a bygone level of thinking in the NFL. And I don't think anybody in the NFL, whether you're talking players or teams, expect that to ever be the case again. It's just not the environment in which we live. You've got agents involved, you've got the players' union involved, you've got ownership involved. And and here's, to me, the reason that if you're an NFL player, I can't get mad at you for trying to get an extension or trying to get the best deal that you can. Because there are no, the, the issue is there are no guaranteed contracts in the NFL. Yes, you can sign a contract, but beyond the guaranteed money, an NFL team can cut you at any point. They can say, thank you, goodbye, have a nice day, you will receive nothing more than what you are owed contractually. 
That's why you see agents negotiating for so much upfront money, so much guaranteed money. To me, it's a little different in the NBA, although it's not approached differently in the NBA because you got guaranteed contracts in the NBA and in Major League Baseball. You don't have guaranteed contracts in the NFL. And it's certainly the most violent and injury-prone sport there is, or injury-producing sport that you've got out there. So, I get both sides of that. But I can't beat up Dak Prescott for saying, I want a deal. Everybody else is getting deals. All the other quarterbacks are getting deals. I want my deal. Playing for the Dallas Cowboys. Give me my deal. I've said all the right things publicly. I've done all the right things publicly. I've been a good teammate. But if you're going to obligate me here by putting a franchise tag on me, then I'm not coming to off-season workouts. And again, he's going to make a ton of money. But turning down guaranteed money at a contract that would have paid him $30 million a year seems like a mistake now, doesn't it? Did he ever actually do that? Do we know for sure that he turned down a $30 million a year contract? It's reported that, I believe. Now, I guess this is a question for the other side. Um, if he decides to, to go that route and hold out, there's a few guys out there that Dallas could sign on a, a cheap short-term deal don't you run the risk of a Bridgewater stepping in and winning games and then Dallas realizing, hey, maybe we don't need this guy? 2020 projected franchise um, tag for a quarterback is just shy of $27 million. Turned down 30, seeking 40 in August. This could be a scenario where Zach, uh, Dak Prescott's betting on himself. himself. Kind of like what Kirk Cousins did. Paid off for Kirk Cousins. This moment in sports history is brought to you by Acoustic Wave in Ridgeland. You can get wave therapy to treat many orthopedic conditions, including heel spurs, tennis elbow, golfer's elbow, shoulder tendonitis, and more. No incisions, no scars, no downtime. Go back to work the very same day. Contact Acoustic Wave today at AcousticWaveMS.com, or you can give them a call. The number is 855-563-6100. That's 855-563-6100. On this day in 1958, hey, Dad wasn't even born then, (laughs) Ted Williams became the highest-paid player in Major League Baseball history by re-signing with the Boston Red Sox for $135,000. Think about that. $135K, highest payer, paid player in MLB history. That is about a third of the rookie minimum now. Huh. Maybe a quarter of the rookie minimum. And the Red Sox are just as cheap, apparently, with letting Mookie Betts walk. <laughs> Career accolades for the great Ted Williams. He hit 344, 2,654 hits, 521 home runs, Major League Baseball record that stands today, a 482 on-base percentage, 
19 times he was named an All-Star, six times he was named the batting champ in the American League, four times he led the American League in home runs, and crusty old baseball writers are not unique to 2020. The great Ted Williams, in 1966, inducted into the Hall of Fame, receiving 93.4% of the vote. On that note, did you see the uh, the guy that didn't vote for Jeter is uh, concealing who he is so nobody will he's, know who casted that ballot? He's hiding behind his poorly functioning typewriter. And his clown mask. And secretary, it was probably the best athlete he ever saw. Make no mistake, he saw him in person. Ted Williams, 93.4% of the Hall of Fame induction vote. That guy was not the only one to hide his ballot, though. He left off my uh, my favorite, Ted Williams. The last guy hit 400. True statement. Tony would have Williams easily close. had 3,000 hits, but if uh, but for the war. How many years? Did he miss two or three years? I think he missed two. So if you're telling me he's at 2,600, you know, I mean, I guess it would have been close, but... Yeah, 2,654. I mean, it feels like he would have notched 150 hits in those two seasons. That's, yeah, feels right. Yeah. What an unbelievable player. 1958, became the highest-paid player in Major League Baseball history, re-signing with the Red Sox for $135,000. This day in sports history, this moment in sports history, brought to you by Acoustic Wave in Ridgeland, AcousticWaveMS.com. You can check out their website or give them a call, 855-563-6100. What's a baseball player that you wish you could have seen play in person? It's got to be Babe Ruth. That's my initial reaction. That, that, that um, to me, because he completely changed baseball. Completely changed it. Yeah. I don't know why. Ty Cobb's kind of on the list. He was nasty. I'm not saying I, I would have been a fan of his, but right. seeing I don't him know, play just... that way in person... I don't know. I feel like you could. There, there are guys who played like him, and never was great a hitter, obviously. But I don't know. I, we we talked about him earlier being transcendent. I'd like to have seen Jackie Robinson play. I'd like to have seen Hank Aaron play. You know, I've only been to one MLB game. If we're talking about in person, there's a whole lot of, of players I could mention. I'd like to see Bartolo Colon get six at bats. There you go. But you've only been to one MLB game in person. Yeah. What game was that? I saw Braves Dodgers. I don't even remember the year. Braves won one nothing. Chipper hit a home run in the second inning, and that was it. And you danced in the aisles of Turner Field. I was, was hung over, brother. I just sat there, and it was Turner Field. I just sat there and in the shade, and just you know tried to sweat out what I had done the evening before. Oh goodness! Yeah. <laughs> you been to a bunch of big league parks, Rippy? Seven, six. We've talked about this before. Um, you've been to a bunch, haven't you, Borky? A few. Uh, a few, yeah. So Atlanta, Oakland. What will be the old ballpark at Arlington, Houston, Cleveland, and I think that's it. If I'm remembering correctly. 
Hmm. It was all when I was much younger, except for Atlanta, than I am now. Our lists are pretty different. Um, I've been to Kansas City. Uh, not a bunch in the National League. San Francisco. Diamondbacks. Camden Yards. Yankee Stadium. Atlanta. Olden. Been to both both Yankee stadiums. Yes. Uh, City Field. Cardinals. Guess that's it. Old Metrodome. I mean, it's obviously not where Minnesota plays anymore. Went to the game at the Metrodome. Saw the uh, Twins play the Yankees in Minneapolis one time. First ever. Um, is it true? Can't remember if my first ever game was at Old Bush Stadium or in Kansas City. I think it was Old Bush Stadium and then Kansas City. Saw Bo Jackson play in Kansas City, though. Walk-off nice. double. RBI double, bottom of the ninth inning. There were about 1,700 people there that night, I think. Even though, they, even then, they had the uh, the waterfall in the outfield and the big crown scoreboard. That was pretty pretty cool. Not the, the redone version of what they've got now, but uh, it's a uh, pretty cool ballpark. Some of the best sight lines in all of baseball, according to folks that have been to uh, a bunch of different stadiums. Hey, tomorrow we'll take a, um, a a deeper dive into the games this weekend in the SEC. Mississippi State is hosting Vanderbilt. How about Vanderbilt snapping the skid last night? They had lost 26 consecutive SEC regular season games. They had lost 28, if you want to count a couple of SEC tournament losses, the last win for Vanderbilt in the regular season came at the end of the 2018 year when they beat Ole Miss in Oxford on the final day of the regular season and then quickly lost in the, in the SEC tournament. So how do they do it? They went out and scored 91 <laughs> against the only undefeated team in SEC play LSU last night. Wiretap Will couldn't handle the pressure of that weird arena. I guess not. So Do you think Stackhouse will work? I mean, I know losing streak, all that stuff, but based on what you've seen, I know you've seen them in person, too. I've seen them a bunch in person. <laughs> uh, is it going to work? The question for me is whether or not he's going to be able to get players. If he gets a higher level of player, then yeah, I think it can work. I said 91. They scored 99 last night. Vanderbilt beat LSU 99-90. to You know, it's it's fascinating watching Vanderbilt and their shoot-arounds and their practices compared to some other teams. You know, Jerry Stackhouse, when you think about what he's drawing from in terms of plays, talking about a, a nearly two-decade NBA career, having played for Dean Smith at North Carolina, having been a coach in the G League and an assistant coach in the NBA, he's got a lot of different places that have influenced what he does from a basketball standpoint. 
and his playbook and the the, the stuff that they run is pretty remarkable. I was talking to Mike White last Saturday before the Vanderbilt Florida game. And he said, Ben, he said, when you watch Vanderbilt and you scout them, he said, there's no way you can prepare for everything they do. Will Wade talked about it last night after the game. He said they had 10 new plays or 10 new sets for every opponent they have. That's a different philosophy than a lot of teams take in college basketball. Georgia runs a ton of sets. Tom Crane's got a notebook that's six inches thick of just stuff. But there are not a lot of teams that that run that much stuff. So if he gets Borky players that are both talented and pretty sharp, they're going to cause problems for people. First time I sat down with Jerry Stackhouse and we talked about shooting the threes, all the threes they're shooting. He said, man, a 15-foot jump shot is a bad shot, which is an analytics-driven opinion. He said, we want guys driving to the basket, shooting threes, and getting to the free throw line. He said, anything else, unless you're beating a shot clock, it's a bad shot. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.